Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Dave Kidd of The Sun and David Priest, the former Sunderland and Aberdeen goalkeeper. Now, sometimes a manager finds himself at the wrong club at the wrong time. It's happened to David Moyes three times at Man United, Sunderland, and now West Ham. Another relegation on the CV, Dave? Yeah, well, you start to worry if he's just the wrong man and the club's not necessarily the common <laughs> denominator. It, it, it seems to me that Moyes has been slightly broken by the United experience and, 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 and he, he hasn't got the same sense of, of vigour that he had in, in, in the Everton days. Um, I don't think they will go down. I, I think... Maybe it's slightly lazy thinking. I think they've got too many good players. We've said that about West Ham before. I can remember about two relegations ago, them having a stellar squad of players, including De Canio and Joe Cole and Carrick, and they went down. So, you know, too good to go down doesn't Some really exist. Some clubs do have them, yeah. Yeah, and, and we know, listen, after the Burnley game, it's going to be key what happens next Saturday against Southampton. It's a six-pointer anyway. But, it's you know, if, if they have a bad start in that game, in a relegation six-pointer, and... The whole and the stadium goes off again, um, and it has gone off in different ways over the last year and a half since they've been at the Olympic Stadium. In, in the Burnley game, it was very nasty at times. There's just been this utter air of apathy about the place. Mm. People just leaving early in their droves. There's not been any sort of aggro at certain matches, but there's just been this sense of apathy. And that stadium, as we know, it's not a football stadium, and it just seems to exacerbate things when things are going badly on the pitch. So. They need a result. They need a result against Southampton. If I'm going to stick my neck on the line, I think they're going to just about get out of trouble. But I could well be wrong. <laughs> yeah, you've obviously you watch David Moyes quite closely at at Sunderland. Do you see any change in his demeanour over that sort of period? I mean, there, there was some improvement uh, in his post-match interviews, and uh, at Sunderland he was very dour, sort of very negative, and, and I think he was buoyed by you know the, the initial bounce that he had at, at West Ham. It sort of he, he needed that himself, as well as the club needed that and the team needed that. He needed himself to get that little bit of confidence back. But um, it's hard enough to win football matches anyway without everything going on around uh, the stadium and, and the club at the minute. And he's uh, he's certainly going to find it difficult towards, no, uh, towards the end of the season, I think. Mm, he's taken him away to Miami. As a former player yourself, is that just a bit of a 
a jolly app. I don't know if jolly, jolly up's the right word, but it's, uh, in my experience, it's when everything else has been, uh, been tried. Uh, they've done, uh, tried different tactics. They've tried different motivational uh, uh, tools in, in training and matches. And it's kind of like a, a desperation stakes. It's like nothing else has worked. Perhaps if we take them away and get them relaxed and, and try and get them to forget about what's going on, then that might work. Mm. Does the atmosphere, Dave, do you think, transmit itself to the players? You know, are the fans, can the fans actually, you know, create such a negative Yeah, atmosphere? without a doubt, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that the contrast between Upton Park and, and, and where, where, you know, one of the most enclosed sort of grounds where you really could you could feel at times when West Ham were on a roll playing playing one of the better teams and getting in front you could feel the lift that it would give them, and the exact opposite is true there because as we said it, you know you, you, the, the the crowd is so far away from the action it seems to suck the atmosphere out of the place it's complete opposite as a feel to Upton Park. Um, I you know I I think that is a real concern for them. I um, you know I. I believe that, that they really are going to have to start looking at the radical prospect of doing a, a, a major reconstruction job there or even trying to get out of their contracts and leaving there. I think, it's, I think it could be that bad. If they go down, you really worry about whether they'll ever come back up again. I mean, it it's, it's really is. It could be catastrophic. Because it's, come, it's become really sort of... I think it's the pettiness and the sense of entitlement that, as an outsider, you look at and think something's wrong. You know, they won't even pay for the... You know, um, beer being pulled there. Is that what happens when a football club becomes basically just another part of a, another business deal? Yeah, it's everything's so separated. Like the, the, the fans seem separate, the, the club as a business seems separate, and then the football's another entity itself. So it's it's difficult when times like this, when you need everyone to, to pull together, it's so, so much more difficult to, to do that. Mm. What about Karen Brady? Should she take some? Share the blame for what's gone on there. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think I think the three of them, Gold, Brady, Sullivan. Um, I think some of their motives can be can be questionable at times. Um, I, I think they 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 talk a lot, uh, but without having any sort of sense of of, of what the club means to the fans. Um, I, I think that they, yeah, they don't see. There doesn't seem to be a. Uh, they, they basically uh, sold a lie to West Ham supporters that this was going to be a brave new future, um, that this was going to be a football ground. When 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 you walked into it on day one, it it was apparent straight away that they were wrong on that. I, that was that was that was one part of of the of the lie they sold the West Ham supporters. The second the second one was that they were going to improve, you know, with the extra match day revenues and the fact that they were paying such a, a small amount of. Of rent, the fact it was the deal of the century, should therefore allow them to invest in the in in the team. They have invested a reasonable amount of money. They've just invested it very poorly because the, the, the recruitment structure. Our friend Tony Henry, who's um, you know who left in disgrace in January. That that's you know and David <coughs> Sullivan's relationship with certain agents. Um, the recruitment at that club has never been professional in in recent years. Uh, therefore, you can throw a bit of money uh, in the transfer market, but if it's not being done in a professional way, then you, you might as well not bother. So, mm. so neither of those things have come, come to. They've not got a football stadium, you know, as as we know it, and they haven't got intelligent recruitment. And mm. Apparently, they are now saying um, Karen Brady's article last week. She did say that um, you know they are. They, you know, there was going to be a major overhaul of the recruitment. Um, 
structure if there, if there was a structure <laughs> in the first place. With, you know, you've obviously, let's look at, at Sunderland. There's a club which is trapped in the sort of cycle that West Ham could find itself. Apathy, anger, apathy again, and just drags everything down. Can you see parallels between Sunderland and West Ham? I can, but I think, um, firstly, what, what Dave was saying about um, you know, the, the relationship with, with agents that's, uh, that, that's the hierarchy of at West Ham, I think all clubs have got that. All clubs, they, they need that because they want access to the biggest pool of players to, to be able to, to recruit from. But at the same time, it's about putting the trust in the wrong people. And that's, that's certainly happened at both Sunderland at West Ham mm. uh, in the recruitment. Um, I, I just think that they've taken the focus away from what's most important, and that's the football. Uh, when Sunderland moved to their new stadium, Stadium Light, sort of 97, uh, that's what the focus was on. The focus was on the team, and the team did well, and Peter Reid did well, took the club into the Premier League, and uh, and that helped with the, the process of moving from Rocker Park to, to the Stadium Light. Uh, that's what West Ham have got to get back to. They've got to get, uh, forget about why they're at the, the stadium. The brand. Yeah, exactly. Just forget about all that. Forget about what's their, you know, I think they're worried about what other people think of them. They're worried about that they, um, they want to be seen in the same light as the Arsenal's and Tottenham's and have the, this big brand new stadium when really they should be focused on what's on the pitch. Yeah, because they're, you know, that sense of entitlement I spoke about earlier, you know, they're linked with Lascelles at, at Newcastle as if you would leave Newcastle to go West Ham. Newcastle's an infinitely bigger football club. I might pay more money at West Ham, to be fair, though. True. <laughs> I don't know the sell personally, but that's probably going to swing it for a lot of players. They, they do pay pretty good, decent money. Mm. Um, do they get value for that money, though? Not, not, they don't tend to, no. Arnautovic was quite, I thought, a decent signing, and, and I think he's got the, I think he's got the capacity in a, in, a, in, a, in a good team that's playing well. He's got the capacity to be another... Certainly, a sort of Decanio-style player there, but the fact is, you know, he's having to shoulder too much responsibility there at times. I think at the moment, but um, yeah, they, they certainly haven't got value for the money they've spent. But they, they, they have got they have got a certain pulling power in terms of the fact they will they will pay the money. Mm. Southampton on Saturday, um, as Dave said, is an absolutely fundamental game. Are Southampton, you know, we talk about Southampton as a really well-run club, they're profitable, they've got the right ethos. Yeah, it might be a bit more genteel, but they're in a mess as well, aren't they? Yeah, and sometimes you've got to weigh up what's, what's better, the, the fact that they're, they're, they haven't got the pressure of, uh, of, of fans complaining and, and protesting. Uh, uh, or or do, you, do you want that? Do you want fans to care and do you want them to, to make sure that the, the club's, uh, I don't know, that the club will change and, and do something about the, the predicament they're in. I think with Southampton, they've got to trust them a little bit more. They've got a good track record uh, sort of last six, seven years. And uh, in this season, they just there's been that, um, I don't know, they just sort of ambled along and just found themselves in the position they are, in the slept walking at this position, mm. when really they, they, I think they have got a, a good enough side to be further up the table. They've brought in Mark Hughes, Dave, too little, too late. It's just, again, it's this strange merry-go-round of you know failed managers coming back again, and you know big bonuses to stay up. Yeah, his case is worth a million pounds, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, at least I think. Um, I thought I thought they got it wrong with Puel last year, and I know it's quite easy for me to say because 
they were obviously going through a very bad run of not scoring goals at home, weren't they, towards the end of last year. But Puel's track record's pretty decent uh, in his couple of years in English football and before then. It didn't feel like a very Southampton thing to do that. I mean, they, they generally have their managers poached by mm. bigger clubs. Um, but I, I, thought they, I thought they panicked a little bit with Puel. Um, and obviously there, was, there were noises off from, from players as well. Uh, a little bit of player power involved. I, th I felt they just didn't do that one right. Um, with Hughes, I mean, he, kn he knows the league. He, you know, he, he may be able to... It's really a case of now digging out two or three results, isn't it, when, you're, mm. it's, that, when it's that late in the season. Um, they've had, they had a good win in the Cup, actually, which um, might, might help. Just you know, I think a lot of people thought they'd get, they'd get turned over at Wigan. Um, I, I don't think that's a bad thing to have the Cup semi-final as well. I don't, I don't, I'm not... A, I don't agree with the idea that it's a distraction, an unwelcome distraction. I think mm. an FA Cup semi-final for the whole, for the whole, talking about fans, you know, whether they're disaffected or not, fans are looking forward to going to Wembley for an FA Cup semi-final. I mean, you know, that that that's a that's a boost for them. I I, I think Southampton are going to be okay as well, just about. Mm. They've got a pretty tough run in though, haven't they, uh, David? You know, you've got only two home games left, Chelsea and Bournemouth. It's going to be pretty. Sticky for them, isn't it? Yeah, and I think when you we come to that sort of last uh, seven eight games of the season, um, it's it's uh, there's you know a couple of wins can can change the the whole uh, landscape massively, mm -hmm. but it's you know when you haven't been winning games all season to expect that to happen in the last few games, it's uh, mm -hmm. it's a big ask. Because it struck me as a team without personality and leaders. Same for you. <sighs> Yeah, and, and I think the, the people that they've, you know, the, the relative success they had, I mean, they, they, they kept about sort of around the same spot, sort of, was it finished 7th or 8th last, mm -hmm. last year, was it? Um, you know, you've you got Fraser Force, who's he, uh, he's lacked form this year and been taken out the side. You had Gabby Dean, who came in and had a great impact when he first came to the club. And for some reason, he's been left out the side quite a bit this season. So these are the players who you're looking to, to like I said, with personality and, and to drag the rest of the team through and it's, it just hasn't happened for this season. Mm. You talk about personality, look at Swansea, they've got Manchester United at the weekend. Carlos Carvajal, is that a case of someone who's transmitting his very positive personality to the team and they're, they're responding to him? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I also think that he. I saw quite a bit of his Sheffield Wednesday team, and they they were very well drilled. And they were they were a good side. They were. They always impressed me. Um, the way they were set up. They, they. I think he's a good coach. I don't think he's just a song and dance man, a cabaret man. Like he obviously he's, he's quite funny. These press conferences mm. can't quite work out what he's talking about half the time. <laughs> I'm not quite. He laughs at his own jokes. But I'm not sure about that. But they seem to like him. They do. They definitely do like him. Player. I know one or two players there that they do like him. But they also think he's good. They, they think he knows what he's talking about. They think he sets the team up well. Um, I, I think he, I think it was a good appointment. I, I, a lot of people were underwhelmed because he had a bad last few months at Sheffield Wednesday. But he 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 got that he got Sheffield Wednesday in a better shape than anyone has for a long while in his previous two seasons, two playoff campaigns, which are always a bit of a lottery, and, and they ended up not going up. But they could easily have gone up, and and you know he he, he could have been doing this establishing Wednesday in the Premier League if they'd had a bit more patience, possibly. Mm. And again, looking at the fixture list, Dave, their last game is Stoke at home. Mm. That could all come down to that, couldn't it? Yeah, it could prove crucial. And I think that the way that he works, he's got a very clear methodology. He's sort of... Uh, He's, the way that he works is very very clear to his players and the only problem I would have with, with that and what you've seen at what happened to Sheffield Wednesday is that 
while while when he first comes to club, it, it clearly works and. Uh, and when everyone knows what they're doing, what their jobs are, it's great. But once things start going wrong and think, uh, things aren't going well for the team, how do you change that? If you've got a real sort of rigid set way of playing and you, and you want to stick to that because it's worked for you in the past, once it starts going wrong, you know, it, it, you know it's difficult to change back. Mm. Talking of rigidity, Manchester United, Jose Mourinho, is he becoming a bit of a liability for them in the transfer market at least, where you know we had that case back end of last week about Gareth Bale supposedly not really wanting to go there because of what what has happened to Luke Shaw. Yeah, it sounded like agent talk, to be honest. Uh, I, yeah, but I, having said that, I don't think the point's wrong. I, um, it was certainly true that during his, his, his first period at Chelsea that players desperately wanted to play for him. He had this charisma and, and he clearly improved players. Players loved playing for him um, and that is no longer the case. Um and it is quite possible that that, that that his reputation now might, you know, might scare off uh, top level players. The fact is that you know he, when he went, when he went back to Chelsea, he had a limited amount. He had success for one season. It was, it was his second season when he had the real success. But he certainly, in terms of what he turned about Carver's Carver, how day, you know, it, it's it's very true of Mourinho that he is a, sh a short term manager and that players get very bored with him nowadays, um, it, because basically. I think he doesn't. He doesn't trust even very good players to go out and express themselves. And players might want to, might be happy to win, playing dull football for a certain amount of time. But they will get quite bored of top players. Will get quite bored of being told, you know, of being reined back and not being allowed to express themselves as they'd like to. Have you been in dressing rooms, Dave, where you know people have been murmuring behind their hands about the manager and the way he's treating certain players and? You know, is there a sort of sense of loyalty amongst the players themselves? There is. They, they can see when there's a, uh, if it's unjust, and perhaps the manager's being unfair, and uh, you know, if there's ulterior motive, whether they want the player out of the club or not, and there will be sympathy with players. But at the same time, if there's if they see that the manager's got a point, or because what we don't see what happens in training, we don't see behind those closed doors. So what uh, Mourinho is saying might be echoed by the rest of the players. And that's when Mourinho really needs the rest of the players to to, to police the dressing room for him, and to make sure that uh, not just that his his words directly to if we're talking about Luke Shaw here, the the they're heard by him, that the rest of the team around him, his sort of lieutenants, that uh, that they make sure that it's impressed on the dressing room as well. Mm, you, you mentioned agents, Dave, and this whole. You know, these fairy stories which are woven around, you know, confrontations between player and manager and, you know, everyone's got their own agenda when they're talking to, you know, people like us. In that context, what do you make of the Pogba situation? You know, we talk about him almost every week and now, you know, the word is Mourinho's not speaking to him. Yeah. Where are we all going with that? Um, I think... I think that relationship has has broken down to a large extent. Um, I don't think Mourinho will be at Man United next season. I've been saying that for quite a while. Why do you say that? Um, I, I don't think he wants to be there. I don't think he can get anywhere near Guardiola, and I think it's quite. I think I think he I think he realizes that, and I think he's being quite self-serving in the way that he's he's now trying to pick fights, and I think he'd probably quite like a payoff. Um, I think his most obvious escape route would have been PSG, and it does sound like Conte could well be in whole position for that which is slightly ironic given the the spat those two had uh, earlier this season but uh, and they, you know, I think they're effectively going for the same job um, so um, yeah I mean 
in terms of Pogba, I, I think Pogba will stay and Mourinho will go. But if Mourinho were to stay, I, I, you know, you, I, I think uh, I think Minoriola will be will be um, doing his best to get him out of there. In the mm, yeah, he's been having more to say for himself about Pep Guardiola, hasn't he? You know, great coach, awful human being, to paraphrase him. With this whole thing about managers trying to sell themselves very subtly, what do you make of Thomas Tuchel? You know, all the German press yesterday was basically saying he's turning down Bayern. Arsenal were mentioned, is he going to be the successor to Arsene Wenger? You know, our colleague John Cross, who you know, I tend to um, trust in terms of you know, Arsenal instinct, you know, his, his, his line this morning was, well, look, I'm not sure about this. I think it's just another manager trying to himself, get himself into the frame, either for Arsenal or for PSG. What do you make of it? Yeah, I think uh, in the German press, I think it was uh, Sue Deutsch yesterday, uh, somebody who was very close to Tuchel, I think, was saying that categorically saying that he, he won't go to Arsenal. Um, I, could, I mean, for, from an Arsenal perspective, he, he, he'd be a great choice. You know, he's somebody who's sort of like, kind of like the antithesis of what's what's happening at the moment. He's very adaptable. He uh, he changes tactics to, uh, to 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 suit the the opponents, not to suit the opponents, but to whoever they're, they're playing against. So it, it, it this kind of um, he's he's very interchangeable with the way that he, he approaches games. Uh, and I think that sometimes when when things have happened at Arsenal, it's. Yeah, Arsene Wenger changes things when it gets to the, the very point when he has to change. I think that, um, uh, yeah, with, with Tuchel, I think it's, I don't know if it was going to be a case he was ever going to go, go, go to Bayern, actually, simply because Julian Nagelsmann as well, he seems to be nailed on for that job as well, and there's a lot of rumours about, about him going there. But uh, but managers, they they become their own PR people now. You know, they've, they, they can see the maybe one or two steps ahead and uh, and they, they're, they're planting seeds to, to make sure that there's uh, a better chance of it happening. Mm. Speaking of Wenger, I don't know if you saw the interview that he's done with Being Sports about uh, ageism in football and he's a victim of age discrimination. <laughs> the old result might not come, come in handy. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think... Um, I, I always assume he's gonna, still going to be there forever, really. I, I, you know, <laughs> just knowing... <laughs> I mean, people like our friend John Cross, who, who you know, he knows Arsenal back to front. Um, for the first time ever, has been pretty convinced that he's that he is going to go. But I'm I'm not I'm just not so sure. I think I think they could if they win the Europa League, it will it, stay. Um, and funny enough, the, you know, the field's really thinned out in the in the Europa League. It looked like quite a strong field, but Dortmund have fallen away and and, and they've been knocked out. Napoli have been knocked out. There's only I think Atletico Madrid there that you think Arsenal would have a real real problem with. So. They could go and pull it off. I mean, they're quite good at getting a late surge. Usually in the league, they used to, it used to be a late surge for fourth place. <laughs> you go for a late, a late surge and win the Europa League and he'll still be there. I, if I, I think my gut feeling is Wenger will, will still be there, at least see out of his contract and probably then be looking for a new one next year. Mm. Um, they're, they're, it's a very conservative, the small C, board um, at Arsenal. Um, they don't want to make that change. They're, they're pretty scared of it. There's a different structure of people, mainly German people behind the scenes that are, are coming in and therefore I can see the Tuchel thing where, where you know, you, you half expect the next manager to be German now. Yeah. Because... But Tuchel did fall out with uh, Sven Mislintat who's yeah. taken yeah. over the scouting. Yeah. So yeah. there'll be some I'd... bridges need to be yeah. built there. I, I could see it quite possibly being German but perhaps not, perhaps not Tuchel himself. Mm -hmm. What about... Um, Arsenal, they've got Stoke at the weekend. 
Um, what do you make of Stoke? They seem to um, be a little better organised under Paul Lambert. Do you think they've got a chance? They're definitely better organised. They're definitely, uh, their energy level seems to have been upped, which is obviously given with when new managers come in. Uh, I was at the uh, Everton game last week and it was... I don't know, they, they just don't seem to have the incisiveness. I think that um, you know, we talk about Shakiri, uh, how important he is to the uh, to, to the side, and you know, questions being asked about whether he's the type of character they needed in a relegation. Sort of a luxury player. Yeah, yeah but it, it, from what I've seen and, and when I'm watching play, he is quite industrious. Uh, mm -hmm. And if they're going to get out of trouble, he's going to be the man who's going to do it. It's quality. You know, it's a bit of, a bit of a, an old chestnut that you've got to. You know, you've got to be dogs of war when you're in a relegation battle. It's all about that. It's generally quality that will win a Premier League match, and Shakiri certainly got it. Um, having said that, I'm not sure if Stoke have got enough quality across the board. I think they're very reliant on him now. Um, I think it's going to be tough for Lambert's move. Mm, and again, you know, you look at the last two fixtures: Palace away uh, and um, Swansea away. Sorry, Palace at home, Swansea away. They are absolutely key games, aren't they? They are, but I mean, if of all the teams that's uh, down there, this probably there'd be two of the games that you would want. And I think they would, uh, Paul Lambert would probably be confident going into those games simply because, especially if, 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 to, if they're in a situation where either of those sides are, are clear and, and not playing for anything as well. So it's, uh, that could help them. But is there any, such a thing as a meaningless match in the Premier League these days? Because, OK, you win one game, OK, so the players get their win bonuses. I'm sure they've got bonuses attached to where they are in the league. It costs, you know, whatever it is, you know, get an extra half a million pounds for mm. finishing 10th instead of 11th. No, it's big money business. People just don't put take their foot off the gas anymore, do they? No, I mean, not consciously anyway. I mean, like you said, if if it's if their bonuses are structured to where they finish and there, there is a sort of a lump sum bonus at the end, most will most will be, wouldn't they? Perhaps, um, possibly. But if it's just anything to do with the club, if it's the thing that or the club's going to get more money for finishing this place, that that, that won't have an effect on them at all. I think. Mm. With um, uh, Palace, we talked about Palace. Now I think you're a Roy Hodgson fan, am I right in saying? Well, yeah. As a club manager. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. What has he given Paris this year? Um, he's a very, very good coach, and, and, so, and so is Ray Lewington, and, and, he, and, he, and he sets teams up well, and um, he, he's done a remarkable job at three different Premier League clubs now, Fulham, West Brom and Palace. Um, each time he's taken them over in the relegation zone and, and you know saved them by some distance. He's had a he's had a very um, extraordinarily bad luck with injuries in the last couple of months. They literally had like a whole first team out for it, and that's why they had this dip and they ended up back in the bottom three again, having got clear of it. But they had a good win last time out, um, and they're getting players back now. Zaha is, is absolutely key, mm. but I think Sacco at the back as well. They, they've got Loftus Cheek yeah, maybe Loftus yeah. Cheek as well if, if he's you know, he, he's a real talent. He, he doesn't tend to be fit for long stretches of time, but when he is fit, he's, he's a top player as well. So, I, I, I think they've got they've got enough quality to stay up, and I think they're very well organised under Hodgson. Um, I think if it hadn't been for those for that, you know, everyone gets injuries, but that was an extraordinary run of injuries they had. If it hadn't been for that, I think they'd be I think they'd be top half by now. To be honest, mm. they're playing Liverpool on on Saturday lunchtime. Um, 
What's your take on the Liverpool goalkeeping situation, Dave? Well, I mean, they're in a good position at the moment um, for long periods. Uh, the insecurity in, in the position for um, for both uh, Mignolet and Carrius was doing neither any good whatsoever. Um, now that that's been uh, that's been sorted, you can see that Carrius is, is blooming now. Um, he's come, he's become the, the goalkeeper that they thought they were they were buying in the first place. It's took him a little while there to adjust and. He's still a young goalkeeper, so it's um, uh, whatever happens at the end of the season, whether they bring a new goalkeeper in, which I'm told that they'll still try everything they can to bring Alisson in, uh, because I, I, and I, personally, I think if they're going to get anywhere near the, that uh, that top spot and, and challenge up there, they need the likes of Alisson to come in, the, the players of that profile, and he's a top-class goalkeeper. Make no mistake. Mm, give me a, a read on Alisson technically and tactically. Is he a, a sweeper keeper in the in the Ed, Edison mould? Yeah, he's very much uh, similar to Edison. He's uh, but he's a phenomenal shot stopper. Uh, I know that uh, people, you know, might, people might say, oh, if you're a good shot stopper, if you're not a good shot stopper, you shouldn't be a goalkeeper. That's true. But this guy is phenomenal. He's uh, very athletic, and um, it's. Uh, it, it, when it comes to, to dealing with back passes and, and playing outside his box, he's, uh, his range is very similar to Edison's. He's, uh, he's, he's very good at uh, setting off quick attacks. And I think that's exactly what Liverpool have missed, it's particularly the way that they play. As soon as a goalkeeper gets the ball, they've got the, uh, the, the personnel to just like the red arrows that can just shoot off straight from uh, from where the goalkeeper starts the attacks. And that's probably what they've missed at the moment. Mm. I get the sense, David, I don't know what you, whether you agree, that Liverpool are beginning to set themselves up for a real go next season yeah. as potential, you know, the, the closest challengers to City. And Champions League this season, really. Yeah, so you've got Cater coming in in the summer. Mm. They've been linked with Timo Werner, the Leipzig striker. Of a type, young, under 23. Yeah. Um, They've got money to spend after the Coutinho deal. Correct. Well, yeah. Know. So, do you get that sense that something's bubbling? Yeah, there? I do. I, th I think I've got a, a gut feeling they'll beat City in the, in the quarterfinals. Um, I, I really do. Um, I, you know, they could go, could go all the way in, in the Champions League. They're good, they're good enough. Um, I, I'm not 100% convinced by Van Dijk. I still, I still wouldn't mind seeing them. Bringing another central defender in the summer, but um, I've never been convinced by Van Dijk. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I just catch him on bad days. But I don't, mm. uh, 75 million absolutely staggered me. Uh, but generally, yeah. I mean, listen, that, that front three is outstanding. I think the way that, that that Klopp's dealt with Coutinho's departure, as he did very often at Dortmund when key players left, you know, is very impressive. Um, it's a club that seems together in in a way when. Um, um, if, we, if we if you compare them with United, I know United beat them recently, but United does not seem like a club that's together and that's ready to go and fight for a title next season. Whereas Liverpool does, I, I still think City are going to be too strong over the course of a season. But I I, I thought the way that they attacked them um, when, when Liverpool beat them in the league at Anfield, I, I I felt that you know if they do that again, they could they could beat City and, and go further in the Champions League. Because mm. when you talk about City, you're talking about another level of speculation, aren't you? They've been linked with Neymar. Is that realistic? I'm sure it is realistic. You know the finances they've got behind them. Whether he'd want to go there or not, or whether he'd want to go back to Spain, that's a different matter. But I think um, I think there's probably two sides that's, that City wanted to stay away from in that drawn with Liverpool and Barcelona. 
in there. I, I agree with Dave. If there's if there's a, a team that's uh, going to give them problems, if they can if they can go to City and uh, and sort of get a result there, then you know, go and, uh, playing at Anfield, they're definitely going to uh, stand a great chance of beating. Mm-hmm. Can we just go back for relegation for a, for a second, Dave? Um, Newcastle, uh, home to Huddersfield, which yeah. looks on the face of it a good fixture for them. They're probably a bit like Brighton, yeah. one win away from. Yeah, I think, I think they'll get it as well. Yeah, I think um, I think that's a, a squad that it wasn't strengthened after after winning the championship. Um, so therefore, it's an outstanding achievement to, to keep them up and with, with, with something to spare as well. Um, the, the win against United was was key in February. That was a really a really big win against Man United. Um, I think you know. I think Benitez is. I think Benitez is. is you know, he, despite everything with Ashley, he's he's been a great politician and he he's a very very political manager. Mm. Sometimes it's a good, sometimes it's a bad thing. But he's he's been very good at unifying the support and getting the support behind the team there. Despite the fact that the owner was absolutely loathed and uh, there was a protracted, you know, takeover that everyone was desperate to go through and didn't, but he still managed to keep things together. I think it's, I think it's quite tiring for him though. Whether he wants to keep doing that yeah. in the long term and Ashley is, is, is what I. But doubt. you're right. He is so political. Mm. You know, I, I, I heard last week that he actually has files on the journalists who cover. <laughs> matches, no, that doesn't surprise you know, me. With either. with a, like a little passport photograph and a little biog, and that tells you. That's he was always. I think, he, I think on Merseyside, he, he was he was quite prone to an off the record and had a wink, and he was very good at that. And I think he, you know, he's. He, I think he's somebody who uses the media to his own ends pretty well. But he's done. He's done a very good job. I think it's, it's, it was a difficult, difficult job. To, it's a difficult job to keep a team up with no real investment. They've not really added to the squad the World Championship. That's very difficult. Doing it with with an owner who's at war with the fans and vice versa, that, that also is very very difficult. So I think the job he's done has been outstanding. Mm. What's the vibe like at St James's? I think it's pretty positive. I mean, I've been there for a few times this season and watched them. I'll be, I'll be there again Saturday. The, the thing with uh, Rafa is that there's although he's he's tried to eke out a little bit of money from the board from Mike Ashley in in the, when he spoke in the June transfer windows and he's. Uh, he's he, but he's one of these managers who he won't let it uh, detract from what he's trying to do because he's a very good coach and he trusts himself implicitly and trusts those around him. He knows that he's doing what every every uh, owner and chairman wants a manager to do. If they don't spend money and uh, they don't bring in new faces, can he make this team, uh, this side uh, a, a better team? And he's doing that and on a weekly basis. And, ev- and with every game, they get better playing his way. When you look at um, the weekend, the other sort of potential flashpoint would be Tottenham going to Chelsea. We don't like each other, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, is this the game which basically sorts out the top four for once and for all? It could be. I mean, Spurs have a poor record at Stamford Bridge. Um, the one time they played well there was in, uh, I can remember anyway, was, was, was in, the, in the game that gave Leicester, it clinched the title for Leicester when they actually were two up and, and, and imploded and it, and it was a real war. It was a tremendous game of football in, in the uh, old school fashion. Yeah. But they don't tend to play well at Chelsea. Uh, it would be a big statement for Spurs to go there. I still think there is a, 
in what in big one-off games, there's there's still question marks over Spurs as uh, you know as happened against Juventus. They look for all the world as though it should have beaten Juventus over two legs. They were the better team for the vast majority of that time. They still got beat. Um, so I think winning at Chelsea would be a real statement for Spurs, and it would then it would it you know, the top four would then be locked in. Um, if Chelsea win, which I sort of just on 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 form on the form in that fixture at Stamford Bridge, you sort of almost expect Chelsea to win it. Um, then, then it's then it's really wide open again, particularly between those two. I don't. I think Liverpool will be okay. And I think United have probably got enough of a cushion. So I think Chelsea could, could you know, could make it could make it interesting. What's your impression of, of Tottenham? Right? Yeah, they're probably the side I've watched most this season. I've been sort of gradually more and more impressed with them. Of course, they had the, the, the difficulties when they when they moved to Wembley, but they've made that their own now. They've they've overcome that. Um, I just think that's you know all this thing about uh, surrounding their um, you know the, the lack of trophies mm. and and the lack of winners that they have in the side. They just need to break that seal. You know whether it doesn't matter what cup it is, uh, they need to break it so they've got that that experience behind that just that feeling of winning. That's uh, the ability to get get it over the line and um, and like I said. All the young players they've got there, they need that to take them yeah. to the next level when they go on the I'm not having well. this thing from Pochettino and from a lot of Spurs people that it doesn't matter if they don't win so the way they have progressed. Of course they've progressed. Of course he's a very good coach. Of course he's done a great job spending far less money than any of the other top six or hardly any money at all. Um, but it's still, football is still about winning things. It's about winning things for individual players. It's about winning things for coaches and, and to keep Pochettino, to keep Kane, to keep Ali. They've got to win things, and they've got to. And obviously, we've seen so many times that, that winning a League Cup or an FA Cup can be a springboard to mm. to then going for a title or or, or a Champions League, um, and and that's that's where Spurs are, and it and it and it is a big a big big hurdle for them. Winning the FA Cup would be key this season. Mm. When you're talking about the Kane and Ali, you're talking about key England players as well. Mm. You know, we've both been around the England setup in the last few days. You know, you're off to see them again today. Um, What's your read on the way that Gareth Southgate is progressing? Yeah, I think he's. I think he's got a very a definite way of how he wants to play, um, which is which is very important, particularly given the nature of the job. And, and it, it was particularly pronounced this time that seemed that all the players who were in form for their clubs and playing well in November, obviously, there's a four month. Uh, gap without any internationals until March. Almost all of those players now seem to be out of form or out of, out of their teams, and 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 a whole and and. Other players have come back into form for their clubs, and so the, the personnel changes drastically over time. So having that structure of playing, you know, he wants to play out of the back quite religiously, the three at the back. I thought it was really interesting that he played Walker at centre half, and it worked very well in Holland. And it was a poor Dutch team, and it's a friendly and all that kind of thing. But he still he looked good, and he reasoned very well that Walker doesn't bomb on as a, as a you know flying right back or, or right wing back as at Spurs as he was there you know he, he does play tend to end up playing inside more at Manchester City I think you can see how Walker's developed as a footballer quite there's no reason why he can't play centre half because you know he's, he's a big he's a big fella uh, and also very quick um I just think I think he I think I'm impressed by Southgate in the in the fact that he he thinks outside the box he's, he's no respect of reputations so I would therefore if I was Delhi Ali, I'd be worried whether I'm going to get in the starting eleven for Russia, which would have seemed unthinkable a few months ago, but mm. I don't think he's at all nailed on. I think, in, in, particularly in that formation, I, I think Ali could end up missing out um, for the first game against Tunisia. I think it's an important game for him tomorrow night against Italy. Because mm. it is interesting. It's a measure of his success in sort of creating a new dimension to the team. Not even mentioning 
you know, people like Wayne Rooney anymore. That is ancient history now. No, and I think that's that's down to, like I said, the way that he wants to play. In the past, I remember we, we I can't remember what it was, but we, we played Spain quite a while ago, and we beat, I think we beat them one nil. And we tried to play a passing game, passing type game, similar to what we're trying to play now. And it was all very prosaic. It was like it's kind of like paint by numbers football. So like you passed it, and there was no dynamism in it in it at all. That's the difference you're seeing now. The the the, the runs forwards, the people offering themselves the ball. Jordan Pickford coming out of his area and setting up uh, setting up goals like he did the other night. That's all sort of. It's becoming effective rather than just thinking about this is the way we want to play, we're actually thinking of how we want to play it. And uh, and, and going back to the the, uh, the personnel, I think he, he's trying to build a team. It's not just the, the 20, 22, 23 this, best players. But this is a 2022 team, isn't it? It's not a 2018 team. No, no, no exactly, yeah. But it's um, he's trying to build uh, a team of good people as much as he is... Uh, mm. Good footballers, and when you go to tournaments, that's exactly what you need. You need that that's team dynamic to work, the squad dynamic to work. And I think you know when people think of um, uh, they, they talk about John Joe Shelby uh, not being in the side at the expense of Jake Livermore. Mm. I think that goes along with the the squad and the team ethic. John Joe Shelby on on talent on on form might deserve to be in there. But will he knit the rest of them together so it produces a better team and work ethic? I'm not sure. Yeah, I think well, he's treating it very much as a, as a club, yeah. um, as a club side, um, and getting that structure in place. And he's been he's been very, you know, on Rooney. You know, you, we forget how you know how big a deal that was when he first came in 16 months ago to get to to, to get rid of Rooney. And Rooney had announced his retirement for after 2018, after 2016, very presumptuously. Southgate wasn't having him at all. Walcott has been discarded. Walcott's one of the bigger names in English football. There's not many big names in that team. Walcott, Rooney, been discarded. Smalling, been discarded. Still a starter at Man United, discarded. Uh, Cahill, I think, you know, the fact that Cahill's not been playing regularly for Chelsea was, was quite convenient for Southgate. Mm. Um, I think, and I, you know, he, he wants uh, you know, central defenders who, who are comfortable mm. on the ball. What struck, what struck me about it last week, to your point, is that when we were up at St George's Park, there was certainly a more relaxed and open feel about the place. Yeah. It wasn't camp paranoia, which, mm. you know, what England camps yeah. usually are. Well, Gary Neville's not there anymore, that, so that helps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not, a, it's a pretty, it, at the same time though, I think he's quite serious. Um, you know, there's, there was a big brouhaha about the fact that like, you couldn't, you could no longer, that even journalists couldn't get caramel lattes or whatever these people drink. <laughs> Um, Disgrace, right? <laughs> I don't know. I just like a nice cup of builders' tea myself. But apparently, this is a big thing. That so that he's got rid of all you know any anything like that at the on at the on-site Starbucks at Burton that the players can't have anything sweet, and therefore nor can visiting journalists or members of the public, which 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 caused a bit of a storm. So he, you know he's a pretty he's a, he's pretty serious, Gareth, um, uh, and, and and he knows what he wants. I don't think he's a pushover. I think that the great the the idea that he's just some nice guy. Um, uh, and a bit, a bit of a soft touch is, 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 is very, very wrong. And I still hear that mentioned that that's basically what he is and he isn't. Yeah, I, yeah. I think it's key to, to his, the way he manages and his relationship with the players, the fact that, you know, we go back in the past to Capello banning ketchup and people mm. complaining about it. The fact that I don't think in the near future you're going to get people complaining that there's no cakes in the, in the, in the, uh, yeah. in the dispensers or in the, in the, in the cafe. Just very quickly, goalkeeper? you agree with uh, Pickford? 
Yeah, I do. Uh, especially when we talk about the philosophy and the way the, the, the team wants to play. He's the one who, who was capable of doing that. Watched him a lot at Sunderland and he was getting some horrendous back passes, yet he was the, the coolest customer in the, in the team. He's probably uh, the best with the ball at his feet in the Sunderland side. I mean, that's not saying much at the time, but <laughs> he, he definitely was and he's, uh, he's very calm. And the fact that it, it's at Everton, he's, got no, he's not getting a real chance to show that because of the lack of confidence in the side. Uh, when he gets the ball back to him, all he sees is backsides. People are, haven't got the confidence to, to make angles and to take the ball from him, so he's having to launch it uh, forward a lot more. But that's a good thing as well. He's got that in his locket if, he, if needs be, and I think it, uh, it, it's, it, it has been a bit of a, a, a conundrum for, for Southgate, but, and it's not to say that Pickford was outstanding by any means, but what he did, he did well the other night, and it's put a lot of pressure. If the if there is still a uh, decision to be made, it's put a lot of pressure on Jack Butland for for tomorrow night. A couple of questions from the, the listeners and the viewers. Actually, probably the, the sixty four million dollar question. Joe Instant, how far can England get in Russia? Um, without sort of being sort of too tub thumping and too you know too jingoistic and positive about it, uh, they could easily get to the quarterfinals because. Because the draw is very favourable, um, you'd expect them to beat Tunisia and, and certainly Panama. Uh, therefore, they should finish second in that group behind Belgium. And Belgium, by the way, are very similar to England's. They're, they're, it's, it's, they're, we're now having a Belgian golden generation, as we know. They're quite similar to the English golden generation. They've tended to underachieve at tournaments, so there's no reason why England couldn't get at least a draw against Belgium. Then, in the second round, they would play either Colombia, who, who are decent, but I don't think necessarily unbeatable. I think uh, Senegal, Poland, Japan, you know, they, they, they'll have a, a game which might well be 50-50, 40-60 in, in the last 16. So every chance they could get to the quarters without playing particularly well, without beating anyone really good. Mm. you agree with that? Yes, yeah, certainly. I think uh, with the way the guy's going about it now, I think we're better equipped against, uh, against uh, sort of, Better sides, a bit of you know the the, the Germany's and, uh, and and France's people like that. I think we can we we we're not because things aren't expected of us. We can go into that uh, playing a an underdog role. So then it, it you know if we are as long as we can we can cope with the, what they've got going forward. Then the way we're going to play if we try and hit teams on the break, then that might suit us more. Okay, looking forward a bit. Um, ben Archer asks. Who do you see being the most exciting young prospects in 18-19 season? Well, I'll go for Sessegnon because I watch quite a lot of him at club level. Um, it, he really is... He, Ryan Sessegnon, he still gets referred to as a left-back most of the time, but he, he's, a, he's a left winger. Uh, he's a, you know, playing on the left of the front three now at Fulham, as he has done for the last four or five months, since they've been in outstanding form. Uh, he's got a tremendous eye for goal, great pace, you know, great feet. And a great temperament, and he's also already, you know, he's he's not even 18 for a couple of months. He's already played 70 or 80 first team games. Mm. Um, he's got everything, um, and I think he's going to be a top top player. And if Fulham were to make the Premier League, he may well stay for a season. It's quite possible, or otherwise, I think Spurs will will sign him. Um, and I think he can go straight into the first team and do very well there. I can see him breaking through in the senior international team quite quickly. Yeah, I don't think it will happen this year. By all accounts, Gareth's not going to do it. No. I mean, he would have done it if he was going to do it. He would have done it for this for current squad. But yeah, I think next season, quite possible. Yeah. Anyone caught your eye? Um, in the goalkeeping department, it, it, 
next year might come too soon from for a Premier League point of view. But Dean Henderson, who's a Man United goalkeeper, he's on loan at Shrewsbury at the moment. Uh, watched him quite a bit for the 21s last week and uh, he's really impressive and really the, the, the start, England are starting to produce a, a, a good line of, of uh, these sort of, I know it's, it's, it's almost like you know the Germans had the conveyor belt of, of young goalkeepers but very strong, very athletic and, and more than anything uh, mentally strong. He seems like he's, uh, he can cope with anything and he, he just he relishes the challenge rather than being sort of overawed by it all. And I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to see what he does in the next couple of years. Okay. So final point then, briefly, it's tin helmet time probably. Who are the three are going to go down from the Premier League? Um, well, I think everyone's going to say West Brom now. Um, still think on the law of averages, Huddersfield will go um, because someone who came up last year always tends to go and, and the results haven't been so good second half of the season. But the momentum is not with them. I will say Stoke, but um, they're giving themselves a you know fighting chance. But if I had to stick my neck on the line and you're making me, I'll say Stoke. Yeah, obviously West Brom, um, Stoke as well. I just don't think they've uh, they've got enough uh, going forwards to get out of it. Shakiri's not going to, uh, he can't do it on his own. And um, I'm going to go for West Ham, I think. Well, much depends on Saturday. For me, West Brom, West Ham, and it pains me to say Huddersfield Town. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.